Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. And our guest today, uh, last-minute guest, please welcome to the show, Corey. Yay! Hey, Corey! (laughs) Hello. Hi. Hi. Tell us where you're from and what you know about Deadwood. Um, I'm from Nova Scotia, uh, on the east coast of Canada. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> I uh, first watched Deadwood just over a year ago, actually. This is my second time through. It's, uh, I just bought the Blu-rays a few months ago, so this was the perfect time for me to, to rewatch. Fantastic. Awesome. Do you have a favorite character, at least in this first half of the first season? Sure, sure. It was uh, Wild Bill, actually. Oh, <laughs> like, oh that's so sad. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay, for today's installment of Reader's Theater, I have something for us that's read by Moira. Hey, Moira. McCall, Jack, John, found not guilty of murder. Black Hills Daily Pioneer, August 5th, 1876. Assassination of Wild Bill. He is shot through the head by John McCall while unconscious of danger. Arrest, trial, and discharge of the assassin, who claims to have avenged a brother's death in killing Wild Bill. On Wednesday, about three o'clock, the report was started that J.B. Hickok, Wild Bill, was killed. On repairing to the hall of Nuttall and Mann, it was ascertained that the report was too true. We found the remains of Wild Bill lying on the floor. The murderer, Jack McCall, was captured after a lively chase by many of our citizens and taken to a building at the lower end of the city and a guard placed over him. As soon as this was accomplished, a coroner's jury was summoned with C.H. Sheldon as foreman, who, after hearing all the evidence, which was to the effect that while Wild Bill and others were seated at a table playing cards, Jack McCall walked in and around directly back of his victim, and when within three feet of him, raised his revolver and exclaiming, Damn you, take that, fired, the ball entering at the back of the head and coming out at the center of the right cheek, causing instant death, rendered a verdict in accordance with the above facts. Preparations for a trial were then made by calling a meeting of citizens at the theater building. Immediately after the theater was over, the meeting was called to order. Judge W.L. Kukendall to preside at the meeting as judge in the trial of the cause. Isaac Brown was elected sheriff, and one deputy and twelve guards were appellated. It was then decided to adjourn to meet at 9 o'clock a.m., Thursday, August 3rd, in order that the gentleman appointed for the purpose might have time to announce the meeting and its object to the miners of Whitewood and Deadwood Mining Districts. At nine o'clock Thursday, the meeting was called pursuant to the adjournment when the action of the previous meeting was submitted for adoption or rejection, and after some remarks, were adopted. Colonel May was chosen prosecuting attorney, and A.B. Chapline was selected by the prisoner, but owing to sickness, Mr. Chapline was unable to attend, and Judge Miller was chosen in his place. A committee of three was then appointed by the chair, one from each district, whose duty it was to select the names of 33 residents from each of their respective districts, and from these persons so chosen, the jury was afterward obtained. Mr. Reed of Gayville, James Harrington of this city, and Mr. Kane of Montana City were the gentlemen appointed for this purpose. At this time, the meeting adjourned. At two o'clock, the trial was commenced and lasted until six.
The evidence in the case was the same as that before the coroner's jury, so far as the prosecution was concerned. The defense was that the deceased, at some place in Kansas, killed the prisoner's brother, for which he killed the deceased. The jury, after being out an hour and thirty minutes, returned the following verdict. We, the jury, find Mr. John McCall not guilty. Thus ended the scenes of the day that settled a matter of life and death, with one living, whose life was in the hands of twelve fellow men, whose duty it was to decide upon guilt or innocence of the accused charged with the murder of Wild Bill, who, while the trial was in progress, was being laid in the cold, cold ground in the valley of Whitewood, by kind hands that were ever ready to administer to his suffering while living, and ready to perform the pained duty of laying him in his last resting place. Wow. Nicely done. Yes. I told Moira that uh, when I heard that for the first time, I got chills at the end. The uh, She kind of read it like a, kind of like a forlorn, like, sad way. <laughs> but, uh... Her her narration voice reminds me of the narrator from Quantum Leap who does the same thing. <laughs> like, who's always like, and he's always hoping that the next leap will be the leap home. You know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was a good job. Very nice. From that article, it was interesting because that sounded like a fairly complex organizational system that they had there, considering that it was supposed to be someplace that was out of like a no-man's-land type thing. Mm. But they seem to have divided into areas and have people in charge, and they elected... I guess they elected a sheriff just for this situation or something, for that day? Yeah, they elected uh, Isaac Brown. Yeah, for that period of time, I mean? Was it a temporary... The uh, the way that the sheriff position seemed to happen uh, in reality was very strange. They got appointed, then they got elected, and then there were elections, and they, they like Seth Bullock failed to win re-election, but then he was elected again in a different position by somebody else. It's it's a, it's kind of a mess. I could try and get all that information at some point, but yeah, it's that's okay. We need the, a timeline. Yes, the shared <laughs> timeline. The trial was actually held in the Lingriche Theater, not the Gem Theater. Hmm. So that's another historical inaccuracy. Alright, so this is episode 5, The Trial of Jack McCall, written by John Beluso, directed by Ed Bianchi, original air date, April 18th, 2014. It is daytime, the corpse of Wild Bill is laid out in a tent, poor Keith Carradine is uh, covered in flies, men are lined up to see him, one of the men has a banjo and a giant top hat, I don't know why I made a note of that, but I thought it was important. Because he looked ridiculous. You should look at the hats sometimes in in this series, because they wear bizarre hats. There's a, yes, there's, I made a note of another funny hat in this episode, actually. Although it's not that funny, it's just a top hat. But. Someone needs to do a hat 
collage. Hat watch. <laughs> Funny hat watch. <laughs> I could have sworn he got shot in the back last episode, but I guess not. Yeah. Well, he got shot in the back of the head. Yeah, but I thought I saw like his back, like his clothes, like go poof. I'm like, surprised they didn't try to cl- clog up the wound with like some putty or something just to make him look <laughs> more, you know, presentable. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you clog up head wounds when you're showing the body. I'm just assuming it's putty. <laughs> So you put silly putty in there. <laughs> Play-Doh. I'm actually surprised that it was such a small wound coming out. Usually, usually it's not. Maybe because it was so close. It seemed so clean. Maybe they did stuff Play-Doh in there. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. They put tar in it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Also in the thoroughfare, Mel's favorite character, Soapy, is selling tufts of Indian scalp, 25 cents a tuft or five for a dollar. He was not my favorite character here. <laughs> No, it's a little inappropriate. <laughs> Very inappropriate. What would people do if they bought that from him? They do. They, he said, "Fine for sending to friends and family back east." <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I want to be the person who opens the letter and is like, "What is? Oh God!" I, exactly. I I just had this vision of people, you know, opening up packages and finding, you know, Indian scalps and coming to them in the mail. <laughs> Oh, sending you a finger or an ear. Oh, uh, Matt, your cousin Doug sent us a, sent us hair, human hair. <laughs> oh, wasn't that thoughtful? <laughs> it, it was. It was a different time back then. I will treasure this ear forever. It's going right on the mantle. <laughs> yep. You've got jars of stuff in formaldehyde <laughs> on your mantle. Yep. Rose. This is a rare use of background music. I don't know if you, if Matt, if you noticed, because you were talking about the lack of music last episode. Yeah. During this whole scene, there was a little underscore. I thought perhaps it was banjo and the guy was playing the banjo, but it looked like he was just holding it, not playing it. There are two more cues. One's for jurors, one's for lawyers. I thought there was a crazy amount of lawyers lined up, you know, considering all. Yeah. Where do they all come from? And I thought it was funny that people were lining up to be jurors, because nobody in real life does that now. <laughs> well, it's Wild Bill's <laughs> I guess. thing. They wanted yeah. to be on the, you know. These people probably weren't actual lawyers. They're just like, I, I think I could be a lawyer. So, like, I doubt they have credentials. Well, so maybe I, some do. I figured it was one of two possibilities. Either an awful lot of lawyers, kind of like in World War II when everybody was drafted. In this case, everybody came out looking for gold. So you'd have a certain number of people who had credentials from different states coming out to look for gold. Or perhaps they heard about it, news traveled fast, and they just came in flocking in like, you know, locusts. (laughs) But it seems like it was just too short a period of time the way the show had it, because it's like the next day or something. Maybe there was a lawyer convention in town. Well, that's the other possibility. Oh. It's like it's like oh yeah, what? a lawyer convention. It's like Briscoe County Junior. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. There's like conventions all over. The place. Yeah. <laughs> it always comes back to your other podcast, doesn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> Do we have your full attention? <laughs> I just keep picturing Bruce Campbell now walking through the town of Deadwood. He's so clean. <laughs> uh. It's not historically accurate, I'm sorry. (laughs) Seth really does manage to keep himself clean, though, doesn't he? I have a note about this, and how I like how him and Saul are the cleanest dudes around. It's great! (laughs) That's how you know they're good people, because they stay clean. 
I know. It's so great. So Ellsworth's always dirty, and he's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. So stop judging people, Mel. Well, they look. <laughs> I love cleanliness so much. Tolliver well, looks pretty clean. Yeah, and he's a slimy. Oh yeah, bastard. Yeah, yeah. And whoever, what's the what's the name of the woman that Tolliver's the new uh, craps dealer guy, right? Right. He yep. owns the Bella Union. Right. And then who's what's the name of the woman that he's got with her? Joni. With him. Joni Stubbs. Joni Stubbs. Yeah, she's also rather clean and put together. Yes. But Saul is more rumpled than Seth. Yeah, Seth. but he's still very clean. He's got a clean... Oh, yeah. No, he's clean. He's just, you know, there's a definite difference there with Seth being so buttoned up. Mm-hmm. Well, a big difference is that these guys work, basically, they work inside. <laughs> they work office jobs. The other guys are out, out in the claims. They're, they're mining. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Though EB certainly doesn't look clean. Um, even though he doesn't look as filthy as, you know, the guys who are out working outdoors, but. Well, he always has to scrub up blood. True. <laughs> EB is a special case. True. Mm-hmm. And Swerigen just doesn't, well, I mean, they're not covered with dirt, but neither one of them look like they wash a lot. In the line for the jury selection is Seth. He does not get picked. America's the one drawing the names from boxes. He emphasizes, don't try to bribe him. <laughs> Watching all of this is Al and Cy. They're on Al's balcony. And that's when Al spots Alma across the way, pacing in her hotel room. Why are they chumming with each other here? It is a little strange. Yeah. I was like, are they joining forces? You know, like the the rich guys to basically keep everything going the way they want it to? I don't know. Could be. It could just be that the the killing of Wild Bill is such an event that it's just thrown all the, everything that's ordinary, like, out the window. And now everyone's associating with people that they don't normally talk to. Mm-hmm. Alma wonders what has become of Jane. Doc says the squarehead girl is healthy. He doesn't think Alma should be quitting Laudanum at this moment. And she's surprised to hear him admit the limits of his knowledge. She tells him that Seth is going to look after her interests and that the doc is pleased that this will free her up to leave the camp. And she looks at the girl. What do you guys think of this relationship between Alma and the doctor? She's she's very, um, not rude, possibly rude toward him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she's... Is the word sh- indignant or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, definitely indignant. Um, it, kind of in the way that an upper-class person of the time, I would think, would be towards someone they felt had overstepped their bounds on giving them an opinion of her life. Yeah, she's unhappy that she has to deal with him. I also think perhaps that he knows her secrets more than anyone, and she feels that he must be silently judging her. She judges herself what he must think of her, so she tries to shut it down as... Brad Dourif says in the stories of the Black Hills that Alma and the Doc's relationship is a bit more complicated. There's something about her that gets to him, and he hasn't really figured it out. He doesn't want to judge her, but she tends to do things that have consequences that are really not good. She doesn't mean to act without regard to consequences, but she does, and the Doc probably thinks, well, she's young. (laughs) She hasn't really done anything yet that, I mean, that has precipitated anything. She's... Up until this point, she's just been going along with the flow. Sort of. There's, she's also kind of, by keeping E.B. and Al at bay and not, inter, you know, preventing Brom from being killed, 
that's a kind of an action too. Mm-hmm. Inaction. Well, yeah. Um, I just don't know that she would have had any influence on Brom being less stupid than he was. I mean, <laughs> kind of putting that on her, I don't think is necessarily all that fair. It may not be fair, but she puts it on herself as well. True. True. Yeah. She made that wish that, that he would die and she feels guilty. And whether or not that's fair doesn't really matter. She, she feels guilty. So she imagines that the doc is judging her. So she gets angry at him. He hasn't really said anything, but he's probably <laughs> thinking it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a very good point. So Brad Dourif says in the commentary, because there's a commentary on this episode with Brad Dourif and Robin Weigert, that he affected a raspy voice because he felt that the doc had been damaged in the war, and changing his voice allowed him to slip into his character easier. Okay. Mm. Mm. Seth becomes very angry at our friend Soapy. He throws his tufts in the fire, then he yells at Tom, who says that people only wanted to pay their respects. Back on the balcony, Sai remarks to Al that Seth has a powerful temper. Sai is curious where the head went that those tufts of hair came from. Al's going to look it up in his diary. <laughs> <laughs> I love how angry uh, Seth is in this episode. The, just, dar- the just, dark side is strong with him. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just, oh, you know, how cool. long is he is it going to be before he just blows? Just the, was, whole, the whole episode. He's just shooting daggers at everybody. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And he manages to get angrier and angrier and angrier as as the episode goes. Considering how angry he started out, it was actually impressive. <laughs> impressive, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, was it in my imagination, or did it seem like when Seth finally went over and broke the the stick f- with the tufts of hair and threw it into the fire? Was were there significantly less tufts of hair on that stick than there had been at the beginning? Because it seemed like it to me, like Soapy's like, yeah, managed sold some. Yeah, he managed to sell quite a few. He either sold them or there was a continuity error. Mm. I'm I'm guessing he sold them because mm. people are gross. People are gross. Yes, civilized people are not very civilized. No. This is a good time to ask Corey to participate in everyone's favorite segment. Timothy Oliphant, good actor or bad actor? <laughs> Corey, what's your take? I think he's a good actor. I like him probably more in Justified, but maybe he's just grown better, I guess. Yeah. He's also got a lot, I mean, so far he's got a lot more to do dimensionally in Justified, but I haven't seen the rest of the series, so. I've only seen, like, the first half of the first season, and he was very, he was charming in that. Mm-hmm. He wasn't filled with rage? Because <laughs> he, he does have very less. He wasn't self-righteous? <laughs> he's a little self-righteous. I love rage-filled Timothy Oliphant. It's just, it's just delightful. It tickles my, oh, it's just nice. It's like, it's like, oh, you're so angry. I just want to give you a hug. <laughs> but then I know he'd still be angry even if I, even if I hugged him. Yeah. <laughs> he'd be just he fuming might, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he might get angry. Exactly. No. <laughs> then you just want to hug him more. <laughs> what a vicious circle. Yeah, he, he definitely would not consider a strange woman hugging him to be the uh, appropriate thing to be doing. I'd just pat him on the head, and then, yeah, that would make him really angry. <laughs> like, it's okay. It's okay. And he'd be like, no. You're so patronizing. <laughs> it's okay. What bothers me about him in this episode is how rude he is towards Seth. 
Wait a minute. He's rude towards himself? Not Saul. Oh, Saul. I'm sorry. He's rude towards Saul. <laughs> that would be great if he was rude towards himself, though. He's talking in the mirror. But, you know, Saul is his friend, and... Friend slash punching bag. Yeah. Well... He feels but... like he can show Saul his true feelings. He doesn't have to put, you know, put on a face. Well, also, I mean, Saul is the one who... He pulls him back from the edge and stuff. These guys have been playing this dance for a while, I would imagine. You know? Yeah. Saul knows that he's he can be a loose cannon and stuff and It's probably true, but I don't like to see it. Yeah. Oh, Saul is a good sure. guy. Saul deserves a hug. You hug Seth, I'll, oh, I'll hug Saul. <laughs> we got the we got them both covered. Group hug. Come on guys, group hug. Let's all together hug. <laughs> Who, who's gonna hug that plague guy? <laughs> oh Matt, you're already sick. You go hug him. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Al decides that he'll have the trial at the gym. But he speculates that if Deadwood starts having trials, perhaps the United States will look upon them as a sovereign nation and treat them like they treat the Sioux, rather than annexing them. There's a lot of talk going forward about how annexation is going to affect these claims. It's something to pay attention to, the annexation discussion. Mm-hmm, yeah. Al asks Sai, how's business? Sai confesses that it's taking a little while to get these hoopleheads adjusted to craps. So is that his main draw? Yeah, well... That and... That and women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Women from Nebraska, apparently. (laughs) They've got a pharaoh table, too. And poker, because we've seen Bill there. They've got everything. I'm not sure they... Do they have a pharaoh table? Because if they have a pharaoh table, then they'd be cutting into Swearingen's action. Yes, because when Al went over there and said something about uh, pharaoh, Sai said, yeah, we have that, too. Oh, okay. It's too clean in there. He's intimidating the hoopleheads with his uh, fancy establishment. Maybe that's what it is, yeah. Seth is behind on the doc's schedule, but since he doesn't get picked for jury duty, he heads over to the hotel. Alma is trying to elicit help. She's trying to elicit help for the squarehead girl, someone less distracted. E.B. thinks that the gimp would suffice, although Al likes to berate her in the mornings. Yeah. It's it's really shitty how the burden of this child just passes to the nearest woman (laughs) by default. They should have a, a fourth line in the street for taking care of the squarehead girl. Yeah. yeah. It's like hot potato with a, a child. Well, she Could doesn't you... do she doesn't even speak. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I just had this vision of Jane's reaction if she knew that uh that they were asking basically asking Al for help to take care of the uh the little girl. Is this little girl ever gonna get a name, by the way? Be a spoiler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't Alma ask the doctor if he could recommend somebody? Yeah. He might, he might, she might think that he would just judge her for the question. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Alma tells Seth that she saw him support Wild Bill in the gunfight a few days past, and when Wild Bill spoke of a Mr. Bullock, she had imagined it would be him. What do they think that means? Uh, love story in the future. <laughs> he seemed to be quite taken with her. Yeah, likewise for her to him. I saw I saw googly eyes going on. Yep, there's googly eyes all over the place. Do you think she was doing a little bit of female wiles there at all? She to might... make sure that he's on her side, get him on his her side. I, I, t- I took her her interactions with him as genuine and not put on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I kind of I did too. I mean, there might always be that subtle undertone, anyways, for some people, you know. It might yeah. just seem that way because they're good-looking people or that's just the way they talk. 
Because she, she does talk very smooth, you know. She what can't I mean? help being sexy. She, she, you're saying? I can't help it. No, no. That's not what I'm She's trying like to Jessica say. She's like Jessica Rabbit. I'm yeah, not sure. bad. I'm just drunk that <laughs> way. <okay. laughs> sure, she's Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it might also just be something that she... I mean, she's got programmed into her as how to deal with different different people. With Yeah, you know, she's a society lady, so that's exactly. she's got to carry herself a certain way. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. You do have to kind of be, you do kind of have to be a probably charming, you know, to be part of society, you know, so that, you know, if she charmed Seth, well, I guess that's just what they taught her to do. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, no, but it's, you know, how to treat the, the people who are beneath you and how to charm the people who you might need and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's, it was very subtle if she did it. Was, you know, not. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she just projects an air of of being dignified, mm. and also possibly of being abused, is taken advantage of. Yeah. When uh-huh. she came down into the dining room that one scene, and all the gentlemen stood up. Yeah. I felt it was just because they were really impressed by her, her appearance, her demeanor. They're like, this is this is a dame. <laughs> this is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, the, in that particular case, the whole distinction of this is a lady definitely fits yeah. because the, there is that, that big divide and it would mean something to them. The idea that, oh, it's a lady, we should stand. She's the, she's probably one of the only ladies, quote unquote, there too, so. Mm hmm. Yeah, so that's, that would make a difference too. The only one we've seen. Yeah. Mm hmm. In the commentary track, Brad Dourif and Robin Weigert discuss how characters seem pulled from different genres. Dourif remarks that E.B. Farnham reminds him of Dickens' character, and Weigert adds that David Milch once said that when Alma met Jane, it was like a Henry James character meeting a Mark Twain character. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. At the Bella Union, Cy inquires about Andy. He turns out he's still sick, so he tells his henchman, Bart to relocate Andy outdoors into the bracing air. <laughs> It'll be good for him. And also, burn the blanket. Bart is played by Glenn Morshower, who's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. I in Millennium and X-Files. Yes, he was. He played a demon thing on the X-Files and uh, like a law enforcement guy on Millennium. And he was also on tons of episodes of 24. I did not. Like a Secret Service guy recognize him at all. Oh, really? I've seen him on a ton of stuff, and I have no idea what. I, I don't know X-Files, I don't know Millennium, and I haven't watched 24 since the second season, so... He was in an episode of Buffy, too. Was he on Buffy? Uh, yeah, in um, season 7. Potential cast just did it. He was um, Cassie's father. Oh. Oh. Okay. There's only so many red-headed men in Hollywood, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> The pool of actors is pretty small, I think, that they use. He was in 49 episodes of 24, so that's probably his biggest part. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. He's been in a lot of things, a lot of movies, too. Al tells Dan not to rearrange the furniture too much. E.B. <laughs> reports to Al that Seth has Elma's proxy, but she's trying to kick her drug habit and needs a caretaker for the girl. E.B. suggested the gimp, but only so Al could counter with Trixie. Mm-hmm. He could bring Alma a ball of dope as a getting acquainted gift. 
and Al compliments E.B. on his good thinking. I don't know, why did they cover, why did they drape over the deer head, by the way? Oh, you can't see this. <laughs> why did they do that? Court of law is no place for a deer head. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I thought that's probably what it was. It was to make just... it look like less of a saloon? Yeah. It was pretty funny, though, it's just like draping it over, you shouldn't see this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was pretty weird. Yeah. So, is the, when they talk about dope, they're probably talking about opium, right? I would assume a ball of opium. Yeah. Which she would put in the alcohol. No oh, man. That's all that laudanum is, is just dope in alcohol. So basically it would become laudanum again? I guess so. Yeah. Or would, or would she smoke it? Well no, well if she put it if she if that's what she ended up putting in the tea in the end, skipping ahead, would No she... No, it wasn't. No, no, I'm sure it wasn't because then she wouldn't have bothered to go to the doctor. Yeah, at the end, Trixie goes to the doctor, gets a, a cure for her, and puts that in the tea. Okay, but it's kind of left open, so I was just not sure. I figured she was helping her, but it's still, I wasn't for sure. So she's kind of going against Al a little bit? Seemed like. Yeah. Hmm. The Reverend wants to know if Seth will stand for Hickok, and by stand for, he means he needs approval on which hymns to sing and which gospels to recite. <laughs> So he wants like a thumbs up or thumbs down on how firm a foundation, yay, nay, 1 Corinthians 12, Seth is like, yeah, that's fantastic, whatever. <laughs> I I love that ironic moment where he mentioned the name of the hymn and Seth had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and Saul was the one that knew that it was a hymn and that's what he was asking. The whole Saul being Jewish and everything. I guess because Seth is has his thoughts occupied with something else, many other things. He's not... Get in, the, get in the game, Seth. He also very likely never paid attention to church stuff in his life. I love the scene. Do you still like the Reverend uh, Mel? Liking quotation marks? I don't like him. That was me. Him. That was Matt. Matt likes him. I hate him. I think he's interesting. No, I think he's annoying. <laughs> I, I am on Seth's side. I just want to punch him with my eyeballs. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Punching with your eyeballs sounds so painful. <laughs> it is, and but that's what Seth was doing. He was, he was punching him with his eyeballs. I believe the expression is staring daggers, not punching yeah. eyeballs. <laughs> hey, I can change expressions if I want to. Hey, what? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know where that I was going with that. I'm changing the English language as we speak. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. I'm mad with power. <laughs> All right, a little bit of more music here too, Matt. Is uh, Seth headed to the the meat shed? I'm totally not noticing it. I don't, uh, well, then then they're taking it out. They're like, we put it in just for him because he complained last time, and now we're taking it taking it out. If he's not even going to pay attention, <laughs> I will point it out next time we watch an episode. I'll be yeah. like, oh, be any more next time? Aww, Aww. <laughs> this is the only time you got to enjoy it. And you missed it. Oh. <laughs> So Seth goes to the, the meat shed where Jack is tied to a chair. Jack says, bet you didn't see this one coming. And then Seth begins to strangle him as Jack taunts him. What you crying for? Was you sweethearts? Jack's lawyer arrives and Seth tells Jack that they're going to pin a rose on him. Did Jack want Seth to kill him? Because it sure did seem like he was trying to get him to kill him. Maybe. Did he think that that was an easier way to go than what was going to happen to him? If he, I mean. Yeah, I expected him to cower in fear, but he didn't. No, he's just, he's got a mouth on him and he's not very bright. That's what I think, too. He just can't help himself. Yeah. He's yeah. He's a troll. 
he is a troll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here beginneth the trolls that will come later for the computer life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Reincarnated as an internet troll. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What was, what was up with the uh, shifty eyes there with, uh, um, what's his name there? The guy with the pigs. Oh, so yeah. Now, he's been in a lot of stuff over the years, and for him to be just this recurring, non-speaking character that's barely in it, I mean... Yeah, I hope he ends up having a bigger part to play. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that he will, because he's too well-known an actor to just be a glorified extra. Yeah. Could be really interesting, considering how they're, they're uh, using him now. Part of me was like, is he supposed to be standing guard? <laughs> it doesn't seem like, you know, it's like, yeah. It seems just, like it. Yeah, he's just watching, so he's not standing guard, but, I mean, it's his place, but I don't know. It's weird. This actor, I might mispronounce his name, Kian Young, his, uh, his father is Chinese, his mother is Japanese, so he's played both Chinese and Japanese characters. Ooh. He played a character called Mr. Wu in the movie Men in Black 3. <laughs> don't think there's a connection, though. No. Unless suddenly aliens show up in Deadwood. Uh, cowboys and aliens? Well, maybe. Started here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, the the lawyer for, uh, what's his face, had a, a top hat. As soon as he went in the, to the shed, I just burst out laughing because I wasn't expecting the... He had the a top topping hat. hat? A topping hat, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I just find top hats funny. I tried to look up the origin of the expression pin a rose. Uh, from context, I'm, get, I'm guessing when Seth says they'll pin a rose on you, it means they'll just, they'll pick you or they'll select you or. I figured that it was like, like, uh, give you a, a, a rose for doing something so nice. I thought he was being sarcastic that he was. Mm. It's kind of like when mob people kiss you when they're gonna kill you. That's never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it <Good>. might. <laughs> Beware of the kids. <laughs> if some dude comes up to you and kisses you, <laughs> run away. So when we meet at the at the Twin Peaks Fest, uh, if you hug me, we're good. But if you kiss me, oh my god, she's going to kill me. They <laughs> <laughs> may or may not be serial killers. I'm not going to confirm either way. <laughs> she's going to come up, she's going to kiss you on the cheek, and then she's going to whisper in your ear, I know it was you. <laughs> <laughs> Happen. You, you broke my heart. <laughs> so when I binged Ping a Rose, uh, two things came up. First, a song called Pin a Rose on Me by a songwriter named Chuck Prophet. Never heard of him. That guy wanted to die. And also a famous quote, famous in quotation marks, by Stephanie Tanner on Full House. No. Where she says, and I watched the clip on YouTube, uh, Candace Cameron, DJ, she sits down at the kitchen table, says something about a science project. And Stephanie says, well, pin a rose on your nose. <laughs> and then the audience laughed. <laughs> okay. In fact, there's even a Full House fan fiction oh, about no. it. About that particular scene? Yes. What? Stephanie tells the origin of her saying, pin a rose on your nose. What? Why would you write fan fiction about that? About Full House? About, no, well, yes. About this about... in particular from Full House? Yeah. We wanted, fans wanted to know the origin story of the expression. In a rose on your nose. In a rose on your always, nose. Stephanie always said all kinds of stupid bullshit anyways, though. 
Perhaps they'll talk about this on the Full House podcast. How rude. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I tend to think that it more has to do with a girl at a dance in the Victorian era or something like that and pin a rose on um, a girl, like almost like the old fraternity well, the pin. Girl. Yeah, mm. a chosen girl or, or yeah. you know. Or like the, in The Bachelor when they hand the rose out. Oh, yeah. please. I have no idea. <laughs> you watch The Bachelor? Maybe, maybe Deadwood writers are just big fans of Full House. Maybe. maybe. The but- and they'll be really excited to hear that it might be coming back to Netflix. Oh my goodness. Okay. So Robin Weigert reveals on the commentary that she and Garrett Dillahunt went to the same acting school. Who got higher marks? <laughs> she says uh, they, he went to her alma mater, is what she said. And Brad Durf said something like, um, a lot of talent came from that school. And she's like, oh, please. <laughs> she says of Garrett Dillahunt, he's actually unbelievably handsome in real life. He's kind of an Adonis. <laughs> Amazing. When I was when I was watching uh, Millennium, the one that Garrett Dillahunt was in, um, I I remarked that he looked a lot like uh, Kyle Reese from Terminator. <laughs> yeah, he does. I was like, he would make a bit, way better Kyle Reese than whoever they just cast for this new movie, but mm. he's probably too old now. I don't think he would be. Mm. Bart drags Andy into the woods on a sled and dumps him out. Poor guy. Bart asks Andy if he's all right. <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's not doing so hot. Not okay. Later, the doctor will show up at the Bella Union inquiring about the man in room 8. He's checked out. The doc tells Sai to send for a vaccine at Fort Kearney, and if Sai doesn't, then Doc will have to, and then he'll make it known to everyone in the camp. This is when Sai asks Joey, who I think looks like Will Forte's younger brother, yeah. if he's ever had Nebraska pussy, because it changes a man's life forever, <laughs> and Eddie still marks the anniversary. <laughs> Amazing. What is the... Di- no, what I'm is the gonna- difference? What is the difference? Yes. Uh, why? What's what's so special about Nebraska pussy versus, I don't know... Uh, I don't know. It's Your random state. I don't know. Flat? It's <laughs> Sure, does it match like the, the landscape of the state? Uh, I guess it might be interesting. Then. I don't I'm, know. I'm just like reminded of that marching song from Full Metal Jacket. The uh, I don't know what I've been told. Eskimo pussy is mighty cold. <laughs> Aww. Uh, so bad. Mm-hmm. Guess those Nebraska ladies are talented. <laughs> Fort Kearney is 454 miles from Deadwood. That's 731 kilometers. For uh, U3. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. One way. That's one way? Yeah, that's one way. I love the doctor, though, how forceful he was. It was pretty great. Yeah, he banged on the window. He cares! You paying attention to me? Yeah, he cares, damn it. Which is nice. Because not a lot of people care there. Well, they're gonna start caring. Yeah. As soon as they don't get this sorted. Yeah. Oh, I never commented earlier about Trixie's soccer socks. She had striped socks. <laughs> they looked like soccer socks. I don't. I didn't notice. It was just a random observation. Yeah, she just had a a funny like bloom. Like she had the bloomers on. They were very colorful compared to everybody else's wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah, I just. But yeah, I just didn't think they had striped socks back then. Mm -hmm. I guess they do. Oh, Fort Kearney was a spot on the Oregon Trail, and is currently a state park. Where they have uh, replicas of historical palisades and carpenter shops. Also, recreational areas providing hiking trails, camping, picnicking, and boating. Where? What state is it in? Nebraska. That's okay. That's, that's 
so you should go to Fort Kearney, you should go boating, and then find some Nebraska pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't end not, and That's your road trip. It's, it's not, not it's really the, to my taste, thank you. It's on the Oregon Trail, don't die of dysentery. <laughs> we always played Suicide Oregon Trail, where you just, you don't, you don't take any supplies, you just go out and see how quickly you die. Wow. Oh, a really, a deep raging river? Yeah, I'll go right through that with my team of oxen. Oh, dead. <laughs> because you couldn't win at Oregon Trail. No. no. You can never beat it, so... We had a we had a game that we played in school here in Canada called like Trans Canada or something. I, it was like it was teaching you about commodities or something, and you were a trucker driving across Canada, and you had to like keep track of gas and mileage and commodities. Did the trucker ever die from dysentery? No, <laughs> you could run out of gas. That's about it. Oh, so you just ran <laughs> the side of the road. That's yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that interesting tidbit. <laughs> So the next time somebody asks what's the difference between the U.S. and Canada, we can bring up the difference between the two games. Yeah, what was it called? I, th- I Trans Canada. Trans Canada. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, I'll have to see if there's like an online version. There is. It was on like one of those websites where you can play games. Well, Al asks Trixie what she look what she looks at when she looks out the window. Trixie answers, "Whatever there is to see." Al tells her to put on a fancy dress and go help the New York dude's widow with the square head orphan girl. Help her expand her horizons. Later, Al is upstairs in his office. He hands the Indian head to Johnny and tells him to get rid of it. But Johnny thinks it's worth keeping because it could be a nice conversation piece. (laughs) What are you going to do with it? You're going to mummify it? What are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah, I would assume they. Oh, God. So gross. (sighs) So now we get a soliloquy from EB. He's scrubbing Tim Driscoll's bloodstains, speaking of how Al is disguising the fact that there is gold on Alma's claim. He's also bitter about not being well compensated for acting as the go-between, then confesses he's terrified of Al to the point of having digestion issues. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really nicely written and performed soliloquy. Might be the first one, like, true one that we get because the one with Alma got interrupted by Jane. This is just, this is the kind of stuff that when I think of the language on the show, I think of scenes like these. Yeah, I I literally when it came up, I put in ah the soliloquy. Um, <laughs> that's what I put it to. Yeah, because everybody's been saying, oh, it gets more like Shakespeare and and so forth and so on. And this was the time when I really really noticed that where it's like, okay, things have changed a little bit in the in the way the language is being presented because this was definitely very Shakespearean. To me, soliloquies just make people seem crazy, though. Just <laughs> talking to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Update on that game is called Cross Cross Country Canada. For, uh-huh. anyone, for anyone wants to look for it, I will later. Okay, I put, I put it in the uh, in the Facebook. Page. So you have a problem, Mel, with people talking to themselves, huh? No, I probably talk to myself <laughs> all the time. But I mean, it just makes you, and it probably. I see when I talk to myself, I'm by myself. Nobody sees me, as far as I know. <laughs> So nobody can really be like, you're crazy, you're talking to yourself. <laughs> but I could see him talking to himself. I was like, you're crazy, you're talking to yourself. <laughs> so the prosecution starts out with, we shoulder a great weight here today. He's interrupted by Al complaining to Dan that they'll be at this until Christmas. <laughs> it doesn't even take a full day, I don't think. The prosecutor wants the jury to decide if giving a man a dollar for breakfast excuses the shooting or if that's murder. The defense attorney asks, Jack, why did you shoot Wild Bill? Jack lies and said, 
says that Bill murdered his brother in Kansas. Dan is convinced, but Al says, don't count your chickens. <laughs> Al and Dan up there are like Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just keep commenting on something. <laughs> <laughs> I was just expecting them to make bad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe this whole brother thing was, like, made up for the show, but nope, it happened, according to that article. At least it was the excuse that he gave. Yeah. But according to uh, his biography, he had three sisters, so it does sound like it was invented. Yeah. Al and the other guy standing up there, uh, when you said about the Muppets, it was like, oh, yeah, they are like that. And then I realized, well, no, they're more like the marionette masters, up, you know, pulling the strings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> the prosecutor asks Jack, when was your brother murdered? And Jack says, in Kansas. <laughs> uh, it was great. Um, yeah. the, the prosecutor also wants to know why Jack played poker with Bill for three days before taking his revenge. Excellent question. These are all good questions. I don't know why he was found innocent. Al wants to see the judge. So the judge calls for a break for nature after like two minutes. Yes, I know. That was ridiculous. The ma a man who was playing poker with Bill shows the bullet in his wrist to the prosecutor. He'll pay $50 if he gets to testify just to be put on the record that he was involved in this historic event. What's he trying to gain from this? So that later on he can say that he was at the table where Wild Bill was shot. And if anyone doubts him, he could point to it in record saying that, yeah, I testified. I was there. Yeah, he could probably make some money off from doing articles and, and other stuff, you know, telling Maybe. his story. Maybe. Marshall Bell plays Magistrate Claggett. He played the judge in the Millennium episode, The Judge. <laughs> Co-starred John Hawks. So two Deadwood actors in one Millennium episode. There's a poster in the background of this scene for The Black Crook, the first musical ever made, produced in Broadway in 1866. Hmm. Opening night ran five and a half hours long. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Is this a racist play? No, it the Black Crook, it refers to uh, a black, uh, a magician who practiced black magic. He had like a crook back. Okay. Just checking. It ran for 474 performances, grossed over a million dollars. It's been revived on Broadway eight times. The show's key draws were an impressive stage transformation from a moonlit rocky grotto to a fairyland throne room and also undressed female dancing chorus girls, the most provocative thing to appear on any respectable stage. They were actually naked, or just partially? Like, partially. Okay. Respectable ladies attended performances heavily veiled. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that nobody would see them watching? What? Yeah, I guess it was too scandalous. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, word. Women used, women used to be able to wear veils to uh, disguise themselves so they wouldn't be recognized. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Carol, you have a theater background. Have you heard of the Black Crook? I have not, actually. Which I immediately my head started going there. It's like the first musical. I wonder what their definition of musical is, but no, I haven't heard of it. Well, from what I read, it combined the the play with songs. Some of the songs were popular songs at the time, but some were created for the musical. Hmm. Uh, the plot is insane. I'm going to read the plot. I know we're going on a tangent here, but it's incredible. The evil Count Wolfenstein tries to win the affection of the lovely villager Amina by placing her boyfriend Rodolphe in the clutches of Herzog, a nasty crook-backed master of black magic. 
The ancient Herzog stays alive by providing the devil with a fresh soul every New Year's Eve. While an unknowing Rudolph is being led to this hellish fate, he selfishly saves the life of a dove, which magically turns out to be Stalacta, fairy queen of the Golden Realm, <laughs> who is masquerading as the bird. The grateful queen whisks Rudolph to safety in Fairyland, before helping him to reunite him with his beloved Amina, the fairy queen's army, then battles the count and his evil horde. The count is defeated, Satan's demons drag the magician Herzog down to hell, and Rudolph and Amina live happily ever after. I have to see this musical. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds crazy. A lot of laudanum was used when that was written. <laughs> Trixie arrives at Alma's room. Alma's confused why Trixie doesn't have a physical liability. She says, no, I'm not her. I'm the whore, not the gimp. <laughs> then Trixie decides to give the squarehead girl a bath. She was really sweet with the little girl. Trixie mm -hmm. was. It's nice yeah. to finally see Trixie's bruise go away. Yeah. Oh, I thought I, I still saw it. It's it's yeah. a little bit there, but it's it's like day four or five, so it's it's starting to go away. I have a note I forgot to bring up. I like how uh, Al keeps calling Seth a uh, hardware cocksucker. <laughs> and in my mind, for some reason, I just shortened that to hardware sucker, and I just like imagine him like like Seth going around sucking on a hammer, like <laughs> like as he's walking through town, trying uh, to intimidating. The metallic taste. Gross. Glad you're, I'm glad. This is the wooden handle. Yeah. <laughs> what part of the handle or what part of the hammer? I, How much thought a, did you give this? I, I pictured a tiny novelty hammer that's about the size of a lollipop. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't shorten it the other way around, which would have made it sound way worse. Yeah. What way? Hard cock. Hard cock sucker. <laughs> Hard cock over there. <laughs> well, that's a good segue to the next scene, because the judge declines a blowjob. Oh my god! So what was he gonna do? Was he gonna get a whore, come in there, mm -hmm. give him a blowjob while he was dealing with him? Like, seriously? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Gross! They do it on Game of Thrones all the time. Sex position. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like women aren't, like, a human to Al. No. 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 Except for Trixie, I guess. I think certain women. Um, obviously, Jewel, he keeps her around for some reason. Mm. She cleans good. She's useful in, in some capacity. Yes. But. I don't think too many people are people to Al. No. Probably right about that. <clears throat> Al tells... Magistrate Claggett, he's had two visions today. The first was when he saw the line of lawyers. He had a vision of Vipers and Washington coming to Deadwood to take away everything they had worked for because Deadwood overstepped. Then he had a vision of men wearing bags on their heads, slitting Jack McCall's throat and feeding him to Mr. Wu's pigs, and that the pigs were on their backs, belching up human remains. That is gross. <laughs> the judge drinks his shot and then goes back to the trial. So he just basically convinced him that if if he finds him guilty, that'll be a better chance of the states trying to come into Deadwood? Yeah. I guess so. There, there had been a comment earlier, I think, about the idea of if they hang somebody, then as part of an official act, then they're making it seem like they're an official entity. Well, they're having an official trial. <laughs> Which Al's not too happy about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, they could they could indicate that it's it's just a thrown together sort of thing, but if they start actually executing somebody, then that gets real serious. Yeah, it's a fine line. They're, they want to have some order, otherwise it's just chaos, but you have too much. Yeah, that's the, it goes the other direction. All of a sudden, you become you draw the attention to the United States government. Who are these people? What do they think they're doing? 
it, for Al, it's all about just keeping a lid on things and staying in control. Yeah, it's kind of like that thing of with teachers and stuff, where nobody ever complains if if uh, they get an A. It's only if they get an F that they complain. So there are teachers who'll give give a higher grade just to fly under the radar, that kind of thing. Yep, flying under the radar. In fact, in the very next scene, Saul, Saul expresses a similar thought that the trial should have taken place in the United States proper because letting it take place in Deadwood opens a can of worms. Mm-hmm. Although it's all a can of worms, he says. Yeah. The town's growing up really fast here, and it's got Al very nervous because he's like a big fish in a small pond right now. Yeah. Have we heard where the closest um, United States, official United States uh, outpost or anything is? We haven't, but it's Yankton. Yankton. We hear a lot about Yankton later. Corey can attest to this. Assuming he's still there. <laughs> is is Yankton in a territory or a state? It's Yankton, Dakota Territories. Okay. Where's Charlie going for his mail route? Cheyenne? Is he going to Cheyenne, Wyoming? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I remember reading that the people in Yankton, the officials got a lot of money from the United States government that they were supposed to give to the Indians as reparations, and they ended up keeping a lot of it. Mm. Always. Back in the gem, Dan points out the curly-haired guy on the jury. This is the one that accosted Bill in the street, the one that who said to Bill that he hoped he'd die in Deadwood and that he'd get to watch. Uh-huh. This actor is Clay Wilcox. He played Bernard Renault in two episodes <gasps> no of way! Twin Peaks. What? No way! <laughs> I, I thought he looked familiar, but I was like, I, I don't know. I couldn't place it. That's yeah. hilarious. I didn't recognize him at all. No. For shame. I'm going to tell everyone at the Twin Peaks Festival that you failed to recognize Clay Wilcox. Ugh. I didn't even know that was his name. Clay Wilcox. You just dig digging a hole. I know. Digging a hole. The judge says to the jury, if you really believe Jack's story about a revenge killing, then custom dictates you excuse him. <laughs> really. And that's the entire trial. So deliberations will commence in the horrors rooms. Alas, <laughs> Dan about Ellsworth. Dan says they're four square. Foursquare is a social networking app. I'm just kidding. Al tells Dan to get the girls fucking. Because the upstairs rooms ain't occupied. Yeah, that's the entire trial. What'd you guys think? Good courtroom drama? Oh. <laughs> it's it's sham. It's awful. There's yeah. no justice. No justice. I kind of wanted to see more of a trial, yeah. <laughs> I was enjoying uh, the prosecutor, prosecuting lawyer <laughs> with his good questions. Jane finds Andy in the woods apologizing. He hurts so much. Yeah. She also hurts. Her best friend died. It's so sad. Sad Jane needs to be sad. I was just freaking out. I was like, no, don't go near him, no. Uh, yeah, I panicked when she went to give him a drink. And yeah. then she was like, don't touch it with your lips. I was like, phew. E either way, <laughs> she's dangerously close. Mm -hmm. If anyone should get sick, it, or if anyone will get sick, it should be her. But Although I, I get the feeling Jane has been around a lot of bad stuff and has a pretty good idea of how to take care of herself. Jane tries to give Andy some whiskey, but he won't drink it, so she says she's going to go get some water. Back at the hotel, Tris Trixie asks Alma if she's poorly, crampy, and does laudanum help? It used to. It used to. Trixie says that she was afraid when she stopped, but one day she woke up free. 
did you guys immediately suspect that Trixie was going to help Alma? Or did you, at this point, still think that she was working for Al? Yeah, I thought she was still working for Al. I don't know what changed her mind, like, to not follow his orders. When she said she was free, I was, I was like, waiting to see whether she was going to stop there or whether she was going to try and sell her on the bill of goods that the thing that freed her was, you know, this other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, try and get her hooked that way. Just get addicted to this other drug. Yeah. Um, so, the little girl, she was she wearing, this whole time, was she wearing the same clothes that had been torn up by wolves, like, until this moment? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty well. Disgusting. Gross. Yeah. She, she was feverish and, ew. But I feel like they probably don't have children's clothes there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, everything was handmade, so if they didn't get somebody who knew how to sew and get some fabric and yeah, and, and like, all, how many seamstresses are there in Deadwood? You yeah. know, yeah, I mean somebody could have gone back out to the to the uh, wagon and looked around to see if she, some of her clothes were in a trunk someplace among the dead bodies of. Yeah. Well, maybe we that was her only dress. Yeah, but. That would have. There's been a lot happening in Deadwood for people to be trying to scavenge clothes for a kid. Mm-hmm. Though I did really want to pull that ribbon around her neck tighter so that it's like a ribbon through eyelet, so you can pull it tighter and not have it falling off the kid's shoulders. Well, she ends up. Uh, the girl ends up in one of Alma's camisoles, just an undergarment, a lady's undergarment. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. Has ribbon and eyelet around the the neckline so you could adjust it, and they didn't. <laughs> Eddie confesses to Sai that he's never been laid in Nebraska, and also, what did Sai send Joey away to get? But Sai says, "If I haven't told you by now, what makes you think that I want you to know?" Basically, yeah, that's what he says. Joni comes downstairs. She's dressed up to go see Hickok. Sai thinks that she feels guilty for what they did to Andy, and that she needs to sing a hymn. I'm still trying to uh, suss out her character. I don't know what kind of person she is. We only get brief glimpses of her every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, on the commentary, they, uh, Robin and Brad talk about how, I call them Robin and Brad because we're best friends, uh, <laughs> how enigmatic she is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At this point, we don't know much about Joni. No. She seems tough, but she also seems like she has more of a conscience than the guys that she's dealing with. We do know that she loves Chachi. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> it was bad. It made me laugh. <laughs> I win. Now I feel guilty about it. You so. have a lame sense of humor is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> we get a quick scene of Bill's coffin being nailed shut and the men loading it onto a wagon. So, is the location of his grave known? Yes. Well, what happened was they ended up moving him from one burial plot to another like, the whole town's cemetery got relocated. Oh. Oh, really? And I don't know if it was because of construction, or if I think maybe there had been a flood, some sort of disaster. Ah! Uh, but maybe they just needed the space. That's a big endeavor, though, moving all the bodies. Flood, just a bunch of coffins just, like, floating around. Now there's going to be a water apocalypse. Yay! With, like, bodies everywhere. Cadavers. Open, didn't- open caskets. <laughs> Didn't they move Hickok again someplace else, if I remember correctly? Like, to a different town or a different place? Or maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else. 
Hmm. I just remember him being moved once. Oh, okay. To a different location in Dead. Oh, here. Oh, basically it says the first cemetery was too low on the hillside and had to be moved. All the graves and original stones were moved up the hill. Hmm. Trixie calls on the dock. A couple of years ago, she put powders in her tea, brownish-like, to stop her cramping. The dock recommends laudanum. No, it was coming off the laudanum that made her crampy. Oh, hell, it's for the widow. She wants to quit. The doc says, what's it to you? And she says, what's it to you? <laughs> so the doc just prepares the medicine, and he warns her it's not going to be enough to help Alma come down easy. I think we've all seen uh, we've all seen train spotting. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be good. Yep. Uh, is she going to see a baby on the ceiling? maybe I like that the doctor has herbs everywhere like hanging from the rafters I think that's great but where does he find the time to grow this stuff or does he just go out in the woods and collects it who knows maybe maybe he has a henchman oh maybe Brad Durf was talking about uh, how David Milch told him Doc Cochran should be very defensive when Trixie comes into his little shack like he should tried to prevent her from seeing his various concoctions. Like, position his body so she can't see all of his stuff. But he, he didn't say why. Well, I don't think yeah. she would probably not really know what everything does anyways, though. He'd have that knowledge. But I think the whores have a, quite a bit of respect for the doctor, because he, he actually cares for them. And those lotions, too. Yeah, exactly. And Al doesn't really give a shit about their vaginas, so... <laughs> but the doc does. So... Um, I I definitely got the feeling he was up to something when he was, you know, like he was doing something. Yeah, the doctor was up to something, but didn't know what. I don't know. No, hey, by the way, I looked up where Hickok is buried, and uh, he is currently interred in a 10-foot square plot at the Mount Moriah Cemetery in Deadwood, hmm. surrounded by a cast iron fence with a U.S. flag flying nearby. So Johnny informs someone, possibly a jury member, in the, who's in the process of fucking a whore, that the trial is concluding, so finish up your business. I'm guessing that was a jury member? I was guessing that, too. Except he, if it was a jury member, wouldn't wouldn't he know that the trial was concluding? Yeah, I was thinking... Because he was on the jury. At first I thought it was a jury member, then when they said the jury's in or it's concluding, I thought maybe it was was like one of the officers of the court type people, like the prosecutor or the... Defendant, you know, the, the defense attorney or something. But then again, it could have been the jury because they might have decided, okay, you've had enough, you're done. Oh yeah, it could be. I couldn't tell if I couldn't tell if the whore was enjoying herself or laughing at the guy because she was giggling. I think she was enjoying herself. It looked like she might have been laughing at him, but I, can't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they might be really excited because this is a pretty exciting event that's happening here. Hmm. This is history happening right in their in their rooms in their space. That's right. They're they're, they're a celeb- part of history here. They're celebrating good times. <laughs> and whatever he's doing to her really tickles. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a feather. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the jury finds Jack McCall innocent. He blows a kiss to the horrors. There's no way he's gonna live. There's Spare no me way. this mockery of justice. There's no way he's going to live. They let him free. There's no way he's going to live past a couple episodes. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem very likely. I'm surprised no. he's lived this long already. Yes, exactly. Well, we're at the cemetery, and Bill is being buried next to brothers Ned and Tom Mason. Who he killed. 
who we both killed. <laughs> that, that did that seem like an incredibly shallow grave to you? I mean, he's barely under the ground. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. It would have been funny if they found gold. When they were digging up. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "Oh, we're gonna move you elsewhere." Oh, go- and then they just throw the body away because yeah. ah, gold. They, no, yeah. they're just gonna. Put and him- he just rolls down the hill. <laughs> they just no. They just put him in the creek next to Brom, which yeah. is who is still there apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've forgotten about Brom's body. <laughs> Plus, that's the same creek that uh, Jane was getting water for the guy who was sick. I yes. hope she got it from. Upstream from the guy. I hope so. It's not like it's going to make a difference for him. I don't know. I have a feeling he's going to live. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to turn around. Yeah. Bizarre sort of way. Did he not die? No. He looked like he was dead. Uh, he looked like he was dead a couple times, but mm-hmm. part of me all the way through this has been like, because uh, who was the doctor? Doc said uh, not all of them die. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. And with all the things they're doing to this poor guy, of just dumping him out in the woods and everything, it would be, like, kind of ironic. And those bizarre stories happen where it's like somebody almost gets killed, and you know, a dozen times, and somehow they manage to pull it out each time. Yeah. Whatever happens, at least we know he's sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, the next episode is called Plague. And our guest is going to be Dr. Moira Brown. So, <gasps> Moira, I want smallpox facts. Medical things. I want I want all the deets on the smallpox. Mm. All the pox. Pox facts. Mm. <laughs> so the reverend says he does not know the purpose of all this bloodshed. He speaks about how there can be no schism in the body because every part requires the other. In other words, when one suffers, we all suffer, and thus we should take care of each other. We see Joni watching, Jane's watching from a distance. Merrick stifles a sneeze. The coffin is lowered into the ground. Saul gives a nod to the Reverend. Good job, man. <laughs> Merrick then tells Seth that they turn Jack loose. Merrick sneezes. The Reverend smiles. He lives for this shit. <laughs> so he really is. What's he allergic to? Is it just dusty up there, maybe? I think it's the dirt. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. They, he did sneeze right after they dumped a bunch of... It's very dry dirt that they've got there. I mean, looks like it hasn't rained in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So many words in that speech that I, yeah, I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> I'm not good with poetry. Well, I had to listen to it and read the transcript until I kind of got the point. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, you you know what he's getting at, sort of, but it's it seemed so long winded, like just such a long winded way to say something, you know. It also didn't seem to fit the situation at all. No, exactly. It really wasn't appropriate to Hickok or... I didn't think so. We do learn later that the Reverend has some issues. Yeah. (laughs) Some health issues, possibly. So this kind of meandering uh, speech could just be a symptom of that. Something might be not right in his brain. Yeah. I was wondering, is he epileptic or what's the deal? Looked like it. Yeah. Later, the Reverend asks Seth what part he plays, and Seth says, can we just finish the goddamn walk in quiet? (laughs) <laughs> Any other thoughts on the funeral? It was sad. Yep. It was sad, unlike all, most funerals, which are happy. Most, most funerals are like a joyful occasion, and this one was just so sad. There was no potato salad. <laughs> there's no, no, there's no platter of deli meats. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, uh, no food at all. <laughs> just sad. 
Yeah. Well, they kept his body out, and he got flies all over it. And I'm sure they they would have had. They're not gonna. They're not gonna have food out there. Yeah. No. There's no way. <laughs> we'll go back to the hotel and have Farnum slop. Ugh. <laughs> Farnum slop. <laughs> <laughs> That's the specialty. Farnum slop. <laughs> At the gym, Jack signing autographs. Gross. Merrick commands the room. I read here. Actually, Merrick bravely commands the room because I, I think this is fantastic. He says in so many words that we should all be so lucky as to receive the kind of trial Jack McCall got. Yeah. L tells Jack that there's a horse waiting for him and run for your fucking life. Yeah. I love that. L educates Dan about men like Jack McCall. These types get people agitated, force people to take sides. Maybe he should take that picture of Lincoln down. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was interesting that Al was saying to Dan, when you have your own place. Yeah, I thought so. Mm -hmm. He believes in him. Yeah, he truly is his protege. Yeah, yeah. Because he says so casually. It wasn't like he was trying to uh, he manipulate him. About it. Yeah, he wasn't weaselly about it. Yeah, it, it wasn't a moment when um, he was trying to get something from him or, or, or something like that. It was just so casually mentioned. Yeah. And probably, I got the feeling it wasn't the first time it was mentioned. That's something that's known between them, that he expects Dan to have his own place someday and all that. So we get a brief moment of Seth and Saul watching Jack run out of camp. I love how uh, Saul packed his lunch. <laughs> like a parent. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it was right then or before that. that I've got a note that you know Seth is feeling like he's about to get pulled into something, that uh, like a trap of responsibility that's closing around him. Did anybody else feel that way? Say that again? Well, I felt like, and I think it may have been a comment that was made to him just before this, I'm not sure, but that the note I have here is Seth is feeling like he's about to get pulled into something that he feels like a trap of responsibility is closing around him. I don't know it's, if he cares. I don't know if he cares that he, it's, it feels like he wants to do this. I don't know if he feels obliged. Didn't he say something about that he'd do what he wants to do and not what other people want him to do or something. I don't remember how. It was phrased a lot better than that. Saul says um, he doesn't know what Seth is supposed to do either. And Seth Seth wants to know why he's supposed to do anything. Yeah. Well, I think so, I think the Reverend kept asking, what it, like, what's your part? Right. We all have parts to play. What, Seth, what's your part? He says, why do I have to play a part? I think yeah, Seth always feels that way, though. I think he always feels like he has to take responsibility, take action for to you know to do that stuff. Because remember the very first episode, he had to do that. He took responsibility to hang that guy, you know, and yeah. he didn't have to, but he did it. You know, yeah, it's just a part of his nature, and but it's I, maybe something that other people can see as well because the Reverend's always asking him for help. Wild Bill asked him for help. You know, they can tell that he's that type of person, maybe. Yeah, I got the feeling that whole thing when he was saying, why should I have to? That was what I was reacting to. That I really got a feeling of frustration from him that, that kind of like that every time I get out, they pull me back in type thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. That he came to Deadwood for a different kind of life and, and falling back into the same old one. Yeah. He's, he's been there four days and he's already, people are looking at him to, and he's looking at himself, obviously, to uh, make things right or do do the right thing or, or just 
as I say, this load of responsibility that is kind of sitting there waiting for him to pick it up. A responsibility that he didn't ask for, but it seems like no one else is stepping up, so he has to take it on his shoulders, and he probably feels he's afraid that he's going to disappoint people. He's not going to live up to their expectations. Yeah. Also, is that what he wanted? I mean, if he had wanted to be, he gave up a job as a marshal, and he came there to be a hardware uh, merchant, and here he's fallen back into the same same stuff. So, do you, think, do you think he wanted to be a hardware merchant because he was hoping for a simpler life? I think so. I mean that that was my feeling. It's got to be tough to be in such a position of responsibility. Everyone always comes to you with their problems. Yeah. And sometimes you can't help them, and then they're disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. And they also- might even blame you for not working their problem out, when in fact it's their problem and you were doing them a favor, you know? Also, being a sheriff and all of that stuff is dangerous. Yeah. And he's got a wife and one kid or a couple of kids, I don't know, back in Michigan, was it? I think Michigan, yeah. In Michigan. And so, I mean, you could make a lot of money being a merchant in these gold towns. A lot of times you could make a lot more money being an Al Swearingen or or just a merchant, a hardware merchant, than you could out in the gold fields. Because most of the people aren't going to hit the gold, but um, they're all going to have to buy hardware. So, you know, you could make good money there. So he may have just been planning on doing making a stake and then heading back to Michigan and living a quiet life with his wife and kids. Yeah. But he doesn't seem like the type. <laughs> In the woods, Jane has brought Andy water. Here we get Jane's soliloquy. Mm-hmm. She saw Brahm in the creek waiting to be shipped back east. She thinks that the girl is better off in Alma's care. She doesn't know about Alma's situation. Then she heard singing, and when she went to look, she saw them putting Bill to rest. And she offers to tell Andy about a bird that she's never seen before. <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> that was funny how she changed topic, because when she broke down, <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be crying. Hey, look at that bird. <laughs> <laughs> Robin Weigert says in the commentary, she never thought that line where she goes, are you dead, was particularly funny, but she was a guest on a radio show, and they kept insisting that she say it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was funny, too. Do that thing. Do that thing you do. So the reverend goes into his tent. This is when he begins to shake. Then he completely seizes and falls over. Right after that is when Seth calls the reverend a lunatic and says he just utters pure gibberish. (laughs) Matt burst out laughing after, like, when they just did that hard cut, right? Just him saying he's a lunatic. Yeah, he's he's rolling and shaking all over the place. He's a lunatic. (laughs) I kind of felt bad for the reverend there, unless he's putting it on and pretending that he's possessed by some spirit. At first, I thought it was just nerves from the war or something, but yeah, yeah, then he has a Mm full-on seizure. Yeah. I thought he was kind of PTSD there, because he was just going on, and it was kind of, you know, it was kind of really sad, you know, and then, yeah. (laughs) Well, Saul's been thinking that the reverend looked pale. Yeah. So this would indicate that it's definitely a health thing. Maybe um, Seth yelling at him. <laughs> maybe that, you know, that really bothered him. Maybe, I don't know. It might have been a combination. Maybe when he starts feeling anxious, maybe maybe something happens. I don't know. Mm, maybe we'll find out. Maybe. Maybe we won't. Maybe my, not. 
<laughs> my head immediately went to, okay, what are the symptoms of smallpox? But seizures, I don't recall as being, no. you know, you're just sick. You know? And I don't know how much, there probably wasn't that much knowledge about epileptic seizures, so I don't know how much the doctor can help him. He's possessed. Yeah, that, 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 that might be the problem. They, they did, they did know about epilepsy at that point. They, uh. But did they I, know much about it? I don't know that they knew much about it. I know that they, um, uh, people would be put in sanatoriums and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I think that was, like, they didn't have, I don't think they had drugs or anything to, to help. So if you have lots and lots and lots of seizures without any, any help that can affect your brain function. Yeah. And, um, I actually was looking at a family tree and, and found somebody like back in the 1800s, um, who, uh, who died in a sanatorium of epilepsy. Mm. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That was like in the 1890s or something. So Joni is bathing some horrors. Sai asks if she got all that praying out of her system. She full-on kisses a whore on the mouth. And that answers that. I guess that is a yes. <laughs> um, I, why I can't thought that whores... was a, I'm still mad at you. <laughs> why can't, yeah, maybe. Why can't the whores bathe themselves, though? They're like babies. <laughs> they're like, they're like babies. <laughs> I like the, the way the shot is composed. There's one of the whores in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It's... it's elegantly uh, framed. It's kind of funny, too, how they they don't quite fit in the tubs, so their legs are just sticking out. Jane holds a wet cloth to Andy's mouth. She hums. So we get a little montage here. Trixie mixes the medicine into tea and hands it to Alma, then plays with the squarehead girl as Alma sips the tea. Saul hands Seth his bag or his lunch. Oh. They shake hands. Then Seth heads out of the camp in pursuit of the coward Jack McCall. That's where I should have mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned it before <laughs> when uh, when Jack was heading out. I think I mentioned how I like how he packed him a lunch. Yes, he did not pack Jack McCall a lunch. Although I would go <laughs> back and see how delightful that was when uh, Saul pointed out that Seth didn't have his suspenders on and yeah. how angry he was at that. And I was like, he's so adorable! <laughs> I'm glad that they shook hands. No hard feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Saul ever took any of that personally. He is, he's used to this guy, you know. Yeah. He knows he's a hothead. He's, they're pals, you know, they've been, they've been through this together. It's not personal. He's just, <laughs> he's just got anger issues in general. Yeah, he knows that he's, Saul knows that he's angry at the world right now. He's not angry at Saul. On the commentary track, Robin Weigert called this montage a groundswell of goodness that came out of an injustice. Hmm. And that's the episode. You know, I was thinking about Seth Bullock's name, and I was like, there was a piece of me that was like, uh, thinking for, forgetting for a minute that he was a historical person. But this group, I mean, if, if they hadn't had all these names, a writer would have invented them. It's like they're perfect for these characters. Mm hmm. I looked up Bullock because I, I knew it was some version of bull, but I didn't realize the exact definition was either a young bull or a castrated bull. Oh boy. Aww. Corey, did you have, did you have any notes that you didn't get to say? I know we talk a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, no. I, uh, okay. I only knew five minutes before we started, so. 
Yeah, we yeah. kind of sprung this on him. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, didn't have, I, just, I didn't have anything prepared. Uh, that's okay. I was just wondering if you had anything that you wanted to say. Because I know <laughs> sometimes it's hard to cut into people talking and stuff. Now you're like me when I was on Potential Cast. Why? Uh, unprepared. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, were you not scheduled? No, I was like a last minute thing. Yeah, I had a Potential Cast like that as well. And same thing. But generally, Corey, any thoughts that you care to share? Um, you don't have to. <laughs> oh, there's nothing I can think of right off. Okay. Well, we're going to run through like our favorite characters and quotes and things, so... But first, let's go over your predictions last episode. Did anyone die this episode? I don't think they did. I think this episode was free of a death. So that guy didn't die, the plague guy. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, nobody died that I can think of. Hmm. Nobody died. So you're all wrong. Because Mel predicted one, Carol predicted two, and Matt predicted three. Jack, the guy who's sick in a rando. I was the closest. I'm like one week off. All right, let's give let's give Mel a point. Okay, you could tell that she really wants it. Yay! Absolutely, give Mel a point. <laughs> we feel so sorry for you. Here's a here's a pity point. <laughs> no. So Carol predicted a trial, but she found it difficult to imagine Jack being found guilty because everyone saw him. But perhaps he could. You convince- mean not guilty? Yeah, not guilty. Yeah. But perhaps he could convince people that he was a hero for killing someone who killed a lot of other people. Would have been a good strategy. It's not the one they went with. <laughs> Matt predicted a lynch mob that Seth is against, but Seth will hang Jack anyway. <laughs> he might hang him next episode, but there was no lynch mob. I'm curious how, how he'll kill him. I wouldn't think he would hang him. He'll I would think he'd just shoot him if he, if he can, but I don't, I don't know. You also predicted that Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown would conduct a courtroom TV trial. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember them cameoing. No. Mel predicted a fog would roll through town and turn people inside out, yes. except for the doc who had rubbed ointment on himself and it was fine, <laughs> and it was up for the doc to put everyone back together. He kind of did put... Uh, <laughs> Matt's turning inside out. Oh, no. <laughs> the fog got him. It was a little slow, but... It, oh, disgusting. Matt's inside out now. Um, and I'm not going to put him back together. Um, yeah, uh, the doc kind of did put Elma back together, so I'm kind of <laughs> right. Huh? Huh? Yeah? No? <laughs> come on! My ridiculous predictions have to come true at some point. No, they really don't. <laughs> oh! Alright, alright, let's do feedback. Would you read it for me, Carol? Sure. This one's from Nutty. Sure. It's interesting how Al thinks. He's paranoid over everything, but screws everyone over in the process. Jane is not coming back for the girl dis- Oh, Jane not coming back for the girl disappointed me. But then she can't help but nurse the guy left for dead, so I'm still on her side. Not sure if Trixie is serving Al's interest getting Alma that methadone-like stuff, or Alma's interests. Seth is moody and a son of a bitch, but it will be interesting him going after Jack McCall. Okay, so the preacher seems to be seriously confused, and then we see him have a seizure. These aren't symptoms of smallpox, I don't think. So is he just an epileptic, or is this something else? I like how the doc insists that Cy run for some smallpox me- vaccine, or he will, if he does it, it will go public. Doc is taking his life in his hands, but he really does care, I think, about people. He may not be the best doc, but he's good enough. Poor E.B. 
always washing the floor, feeling the guilt over what Al has him do. He needs to get away from him, but I don't see that one happening. Nuches, host producer of Nutty Bites, nimlust.org. Thank you, Nutty. Corey, are you up for reading an email? Sure. Okay, this one's from Harold. Okay. Well, I always maintain that Jack McCall was innocent. Now a jury of his peers has proven me correct. <laughs> Where did all the lawyers come from? Al could have used one of them as a, go- as a go-between when he was trying to buy back the claim from the widow Garrett. Too bad he hates lawyers. I'm pretty sure that a revenge killing has never been accepted as a, as a defense anywhere or any time in the United States, except with the exception of the concept of jury nullification, which is where the jury can find someone not guilty because they do not agree with the law as it applies to that particular case. But this was not jury nullification. The jury here, the judge here instructed the jury that revenge was a defense to murder. Uh, I also don't understand Swergen's thought process that finding that a finding of not guilty would be helpful to the camp. It would seem to me that the government would be interested in making this territory part of the United States regardless of the decision in one trial because A, the camp is part of the contiguous United States and has valuable natural resources, and C, there is a significant and growing white population. If anything, you would think that a, that a finding of guilty would be helpful to the cause of incorporation since that would show that they are maintaining the rule of law. So now we can add Trixie to the list of Al's employees who have screwed up his plans. Who will be next? <laughs> so what do we think about what Harold says? Well, I still think that Al has the idea he just wants to fly under the radar. Yeah, that's my feeling, that he doesn't have any interest in the camp becoming part of the United States. Yeah. I, I He's going to fight it until it, yeah, it might really, be inevitable, but we know it's inevitable. But I didn't understand, yeah, one way or the other why guilty or not guilty would or wouldn't make the states want to come in. I agree with Harold there. I didn't understand why they wanted him to be found not guilty and why that was a better option. Yeah, I I truly do think it has to do with um, the idea of an official execution. Is this an official execution or is it a lynching? If it's a lynching, the U.S. probably wouldn't care, but if if they're saying, oh, yeah, we tried this guy and now we're executing him, uh, by the power of a government. Well, whose government? Wait a minute. Who's going to tell you, the states anyways? <laughs> are you setting up a government? They're going to hear. They're going to hear about uh, It's Wild Bill Hickok. There's newspapers yep. are going to be all over it. What if you lived in a housing development where all of a sudden you're having your own trials and <laughs> executions? Your government would be like, um, you know, you guys, you're just a development. You're not your own country. You know that? And at this point in history, I mean, although most of the territories were becoming states and stuff, there was still, you know, it was still kind of iffy. It wasn't that long after the Civil War. Uh, that's true, too. So the idea of somebody setting up their own country within the United States territory was probably a pretty uh, touchy subject. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. Here's uh, Will's feedback. Yay. Yay, Will. Hello, you guys. (laughs) I got so drunk tonight. I'm sorry to sober a little bit, but I'm still drunk, and I came home just to leave feedback, just to watch Deadwood, so I can leave feedback for the trial of Jack McCall. Do you want a blowjob while I talk to you? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. No, you don't. So I'm not sure the trailers do they show any justice. I've been watching them before every episode, and I don't know the trailers aren't really that great. 
I noticed that the credits still mention Keith Carradine. I was wondering how much he would be in this episode, if any, but you do see his body, so I wonder if he'll be in the credits for next episode. Um, yeah, Seth Bullock's so mean, so grumpy, but he died. Just understand. For some reason I wrote down James Butler Hickok. Not sure why. I did listen to an audiobook about his life uh, after I watched the last episode. It was pretty interesting, I guess. <laughs> Glenn Morshower was the guy who dropped off the sick man. That's the actor. You've seen him in pretty much everything, usually playing like general or authority types. Nebraska Pussy. I guess maybe I'd be straight if I had Nebraska Pussy at some point. <laughs> Seems like it's the bum. I feel bad for E.B. Farnham having to put up with all of Al's shit. Uh, Jack McCall needs to listen to Al, and looks like Dan needs to listen to Al, too. That's some good advice. I hate seeing Jane cry, because it's not pretty. It's not a pretty cry. <laughs> and what the hell is going on with Joni? I think I looked away for a minute. I don't know what she was, what that was all about. And why does Trixie have... Trixie, I mean. Who's Trixie? Why does Trixie have vampire bites on her neck? I think I missed that. I'm going to have to watch this episode again. I don't remember. So, this episode is like, for me, it was like a drunken one-night stand that you enjoy, but you don't remember much the next day. And you just hope you don't do Hope you didn't do anything stupid. Until later, guys. I got to finish my business. Uh, whatever that means. I wrote that down. I don't know what that means. So, anyway. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. <laughs> oh, don't make Matt laugh. He's hacking. Uh, yeah, he's dying. He's on the couch uh, right now. He's not doing so I well. I apologize. <laughs> he's not <laughs> doing so well, guys. <laughs> uh, a couple things. The trailers for the little preview clips for the next on episodes. I thought about putting them in the Facebook group, but they're kind of sucky, so I didn't. The credit sequence, I don't know about Keith Carradine. This is probably his last uh, credited appearance on the show. But I found out who the woman in the bathtub is. I won't post the information until a little bit later because there's some uh, discussion in the article about a future episode. So I have to wait on that. But the mystery has been solved. Okay. We know who the bathtub lady is. She is a real person, Mel, not a, <laughs> a fake. Per- I don't know what you said before. Something what, uh, about her not being real. <laughs> what? The bathtub. Oh, the, the, bathtub ba- lady. the lady in the bathtub in the credits. Yeah. Oh, cool. She's not some sort of automa- automaton. A robot. A pregnant robot. <laughs> Here's Moira's feedback. No yay for Moira's feedback. Yay! Yay! Running out of steam. It's Moira coming at you with my thoughts about the episode, The Trial of Jack McCall. Uh, I think I'm starting to come around to Matt's opinion when it comes to Timothy Oliphant's acting <laughs> because he the way he portrays Bullock, Bullock has either got a congenial mode where he's uh, appropriately polite in society, like the way he is with Alma when he speaks to her, or he's got barely suppressed rage. There doesn't seem to be much of a nuanced in-between with this guy. And you know what I want to know? Bullock, what are you so mad about? You're mad all the time. <laughs> You're you're just ready to, I mean, Jack just about strangled him sitting there in the meat locker. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you're like a, um, you know, a, about to ignite at any given second. So I don't know what your background is, but it does seem a bit, a bit like you've got a hair trigger. 
And anyway, now that you're hot on the trail of Jack McCall, uh, who, unbeknownst to him, you know, you're here to get him, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. I mean, is is the ex-sheriff, good old Montana, really going to just shoot Jack in cold blood? I don't know. I don't know. Got to see what comes of that. And as for Keith Carradine and his performance of Wild Bill, it was just sublime and superb and lovely to behold. In fact, this whole episode for me is really... Um, all about the character development, little studies in character, little insights into everybody. And I quite enjoy that. Um, I think uh, it's going to be fun watching Trixie. Trixie's one of my favorite characters. And what you see here is that Trixie has a mind of her own. She's actually deliberately subversive uh, with respect to Al's wishes, because instead of trying to keep Alma on the dope, nope, instead she goes to the doc to help Alma get some medicine to combat the symptoms of opiate withdrawal. And they are, it's interesting, opiate withdrawal, my fun fact, medical fun fact, um, opiate withdrawal doesn't kill you, unlike other kinds of withdrawal, like alcohol withdrawal, you can die from that. But with opiates, so Alma can't die, but uh, it's pretty miserable. Uh, you really do get very irritable, which partially explains her incredibly short temper with the doctor. Um, and you get really bad abdominal cramps and diarrhea, um, fevers and shakes. It's, it's miserable. So Trixie, having been through this, I think, has every empathy for Alma's state. And I do wonder, because Trixie says she got off the dope three years ago, and, and Matt, maybe you can help me here. I, I get the impression that Deadwood as a town certainly isn't three years old. Like, the Gem Saloon hasn't been there that long, I don't think. So I wonder if Al has no knowledge whatsoever of Trixie's background, and hence does not realize that he's sending a narcotically withdraw, withdrawn sympathizer uh, to be the aide to Alma. So Al, Al just could have known that Trixie was going to uh, disobey him. But I love that she did. I just love that she did. And she's so sweet with that little girl. And I think it's hilarious in a weird way that drunken Jane, of all people, stumbles across poor smallpox-infested Andy lying there in the woods. Um, and good old Jane just can't help herself. She's got to help the guy. I mean, pouring whiskey down his throat would not have been terribly beneficial. But, uh, yeah, you know, statistically, smallpox kills about 30% of the people who get it. So this guy's got a 70% chance he is going to pull through. And, uh, Cy Tolliver, you know, you brute, I <laughs> I think perhaps you wrote him off a little too soon. Uh, yeah, this is going to be funny. If he, if this guy makes it, it's going to be pretty funny. Anyways, oh, and one other thought. Uh, Al Swearingen and his soliloquies, when he gives his whole speech about vipers to the judge, I was thinking, God, it's almost like you need translation. I mean, I got it. I understood what he was saying. What I didn't know was whether or not the judge understood what he was saying. <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, maybe one of Matt's roles on this should be to simply give us a translation, <laughs> a simplified version of Al's long-winded speeches. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I pictured Mel going, what? What the hell? What did you just say? <laughs> Shaking her finger at the TV, um, because let's face it, his his analogies are they're just hard to follow. So a solid seven and a half smallpox victims lying in the forest. Alrighty, bye. Thank you, Moira. Thanks, Moira. Thank you, Moira.
I have a thing about Seth being so mad all the time. I think he's mad about some very specific things. The first three episodes, there's been all these parallels between he and Hickok, and he he obviously looked up to Hickok. But it seems he's always mad, so he's always going to find a new thing to be mad about. I don't know that he was mad before that. He was he Ornery? didn't like. It seemed like he didn't like what he was seeing around in Deadwood and stuff. But now he's like in a rage. You know, there's. And, I mean, while Bill was killed, he's being put on display. They're selling um, pieces of scalp in the street to, as souvenirs. The widow is, tr- they're trying to rip off the, a widow. There's a lot of bad stuff going on for him to be upset about. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Hickok was someone that has been compared to him more than once in the past three days. And now the guy has been shot in the back. You know, in the back, which is about as cowardly a, a thing in, in his mind as you could do. You know, there's just a lot of really low stuff, uh, as he would look at it in his world, happening at this point. Mel, would you like to read our last bit of feedback? It's from Fry. Fry Farnsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Hooplecast. I have been hoping for a Deadwood introcast for a few weeks. Because that's when I just finished the series. Oh, good timing. <laughs> it has quickly moved up to be one of my favorite shows of all time, second only to Twin Peaks. So when I started watching Deadwood, I must admit I was kind of disappointed. I guess I was imagining the series would have less talking and a lot more action. I even stopped watching after the third episode. But the next day, I forced myself to rewatch them and really pay attention to what was going on. After that, I really enjoyed it, but for me, the episode that made me fall in love with it was this one. While I don't remember exactly what happened, as I've only seen the series once, and all the episodes seem to blend together, and Al Swearengen is absolutely my favorite character in all of television. I wish I... What? Wow. (laughs) Matt says, wow. Matt's on the couch dying. He says, Okay. Okay. I wish I... I wonder why it's his favorite character. He just likes his despicableness, I guess. Send in more. Tell us why. Tell us why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like, I know why I like Al. You like Al? Why? For, like, little scenes when he was talking to Dan about the picture of Lincoln. It's just those little funny moments. Yeah. He's just very funny. He's not, you know, he's not a comedian, but he has these just funny quips. Or the one where he says, says I'll look up in my diary. <laughs> he's, he's humorous in, in just how uh, evil and uh, snarky he can be. <laughs> mm, I guess. He is a great character. He's not one someone I'd ever want to know, but he's a great no, character. But I think he's fascinating, and yeah. Ian McShane is fantastic in the part. Yeah. I wish I remembered what happened in this one more clearly. Anyway, great podcast. Really happened. Really happened. <laughs> I'm dying too. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> really happy this is happening. Sorry, that was a tongue twister. Yes. I wanted to read that reversed. Really happening this is happy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's giving it a 10 out of 10 cuddly elsewhere engines. Aw. I don't know if he's very cuddly. Yeah. You, would, you wouldn't want... give him a hug? No. But he's... you might give him a kiss. He's... No. He's... A death he's... kiss. He's... And I'm going to kill you kiss. No, I would pin a rose on his lip or something. <laughs> I, wouldn't... I wouldn't kiss him because he's dirty. Go go take a shower, Al. Maybe then I'll think about it. Uh, the shower would not help. No. 
still kind of gross. That's slimy well, from the inside out. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for the feedback, Will, Nutty, Moira, Harold, and Fry. Yes, yes. thank you, thank you. Right, let's ra- let's rate this episode. Corey, as our guest, you may go first. All right. Uh, I'll give this one a uh, seven out of ten. Dudes in the creek. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Carol. Um, I'm gonna go with eight out of ten because uh, it as as uh, I think it was Moira who said that it had a lot of uh, good character elements. I absolutely agree. And even though it seemed like it was one of those episodes that's between everything, like something happened and then you have to something else happened to to get to the next thing. Um, it really moved along. Eight out of ten tufts of Indian scalps to send to friends back east. Blah. No, please don't send me any, any tufts of hair. <laughs> <laughs> too, too, too late, Matt. We're sending you over some tufts. <laughs> I don't want your tufts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's real, Enough tufts. it's real native hair. Enough tufts. Yes. <laughs> Taken from some anonymous... I just, I just silently walked like a ninja behind uh, some aboriginal person and just snipped off their hair. And they were yeah. like, what the? Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. Mel, what, so do you, weird. what do you yeah. rate this one? Um, I am rating this one 9 out of 10 unsuspended suspenders. And, <laughs> and this is only because angry Seth Bullock delights me so much. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to be very delighted as this <laughs> Just my guess. I'm so happy about that. Oh, it's too delightful. It's great. It, is Matt alive enough to give us a rating? He's barely alive. I think he's going to... He, Matt, can uh, you tell have him, me, have him tell put your a, rating and then I'll tell them? It's, it's on the paper. I'll read it for him. <laughs> oh, poor Matt. He says it's an eight, eight and a half out of ten. Heartfelt apologies. Uh, Matt? I'm sorry. What is it? I I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) And he also says here, there's a note that says, funny episode. (laughs) Hold the the cloth up to his mouth and let it dribble in. (laughs) I don't even want to. Don't come near me. I've got the (laughs) boobons. I might pour water into his mouth from a cup. Like, above his head. <laughs> uh, well, I think I like this one a little bit more than you folks. Though I didn't like the trial. Obviously, I didn't like the outcome. I felt that the trial ended too soon. I liked everything else that was happening. The funeral was good. I love seeing Trixie give the tea to Alma. That was It's great to see these characters that, at the beginning of the series, you never thought like they would interact, suddenly have these connections. Yeah. These friendships. And I liked all the stuff with Jane in the woods. It made a lot of sense that she'd go out drinking again. And I'll give this one eight and a half out of ten droopy-eyed murderers trussed up in meat lockers. <laughs> Mel, you mentioned several times what? that you were looking forward to watching this. I was looking forward to watching this episode to see what would happen. So you must be getting into it. I am getting... Well, I am into it. I just I still find it difficult to follow sometimes. Like I don't understand everything that's going on, but uh, I like it. I enjoy it. But you but you don't have to. I don't have to. I, yeah. I can be I can be the stupidest person. I could be Jack McCall, <laughs> and I could still enjoy this show. Could I? I don't. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you think Jack McCall would enjoy watching himself 
his downfall. Uh, I think Jack McCall would like to watch anything that involved Jack McCall. Yeah. I think so, too. I think he wouldn't even understand what's going on. He, oh, look at that guy. Look how handsome he is. <laughs> look at that handsome devil. People know my name. People know my name. It's 150 years I was years on later. the TV. <laughs> yeah. I was on the TV. You say me, I was on the TV. <laughs> Amazing. Corey, can you nominate a character of the episode? Uh, I want to nominate Al. Okay. Do you want me to say why? Yes. Just because he's got, he's the one that uh, makes everything go in the town. He uh, he forced the trial to go through faster so he could get back to business. Ah, true. And he's trying to get, um, he's trying to get Trixie to work Alma so he can get, you know, back to more business with, and uh, acquire her clean. Putting plans in motion. Right, right. He's, he makes everything go. I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to n- also nominate Al for my character of the week. Carol, who's your character of the week? Oh, it's tough. Part of me wants to go with with Seth because I really did like his slow burn through the whole through the whole episode of him managing to just keep getting angrier and angrier and angrier. I kept thinking he was going to explode, and he didn't. Um, but on the other hand, he was kind of like a little piece of flotsam or something. He was kind of floating around through the events, he didn't really do anything on his own initiative. Everything was, until the very end, he was just kind of, people were sort of pushing him here and pushing him there, which I think is what got him so upset. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And he took it out on poor Soapy. <laughs> poor Soapy was doing something despicable. <laughs> well, guy's got to make a living. Yeah, but he doesn't have to do it by being despicable. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with I'll go with Seth. Okay. Mel. Same. He's a delightful, <laughs> angry person, and more anger, please. I like it. Does Matt have a yeah uh, thing written down on his notes? No, I don't. I'll go with uh, Al for being a mover and a shaker and uh, making the whole town do what he wants to do. <laughs> all right, Al wins. All right. all right. I don't have a problem with that. Matt, give us your quote before you pass out. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I apologize. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> I love that. That was the, like the funniest scene of the episode. <laughs> I'll go with suspenders. God damn it! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so adorable. Carol? I'm back with the water. Are you dead? It's the one I had written down in my notes from before. From the same scene I have. You're one sick fucking customer. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> don't apologize to me. I don't even fucking know ya. <laughs> Corey, did you find a quote? No law on these, mister. No law against me breaking your fucking jaw. You don't quit it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Soapy. Yeah, he deserved it. I like, I like Al... When he was criticizing the whole trial there. Oh, picked up his pace near the end. <laughs> yeah. We'll be here till fucking Christmas. <laughs> Remember this when you run your own place. That type of guy hanging around gets people agitated, forces them to take a position, one side or the other. And agitation brings a slight bump up in whiskey sales, but the sale of cunt plummets. That's why I often wonder if I should take that fucking picture of Lincoln down. <laughs> 
Should it ever be your misfortune, gentlemen, or mine, to need to kill a man, then let us toast together the possibility that our trials be held in this camp. And the other one's Mel? Yes. Oh, how did you know? <laughs> 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 All right. I, got, I have to do this one. You ever had Nebraska pussy? Uh, not to my knowledge, Mr. Tolliver. Eddie Sawyer, get in here! <laughs> sure not, Eddie. When a man wets his hand in Nebraska pussy, his life changes forever. <laughs> Speaking for myself, I still mark the anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wets his end. That's what my rating should have been. Wet ends. Wet ends. <laughs> oh, that could be. That could go so many ways. <laughs> It could be somebody with, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> oh, anything. That segues into my uh, EB quote, which would be my last one. What's he ever done for me, except let me terrify him every goddamn day of his life to the idea of bowel regularity is a forlorn fucking hope. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> poor guy, kind of. Aw. <clears throat> Right, well, the next episode is called Plague. Sounds like Matt is well on his way there. <laughs> yeah, I am, I am so excited about this Plague episode, guys. You've been predicting a, an apocalypse this whole time. Yes! <laughs> it's happening, it's gonna be biblical, guys. <laughs> That's my prediction, it's gonna be biblical. <laughs> biblical. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna write it all in caps. It's gonna be biblical! <laughs> exclamation point. Three exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> gonna get gonna get Old Testament on your ass. Yeah, there's gonna be like locusts coming in and <laughs> frogs raining down. All the plagues. All the plagues. Locusts and, and frogs. All the bubons. Yeah. Just gonna come rolling out. Mel, how many people are gonna die in uh, episode six? Let me think about it. Seventeen. Seventeen. Seems pretty high. It's kind of high. Maybe I should go back. It, t it seems to take an awful long time for people to die of the plague. Mm. Yeah, and um, if it's if it's only going to be a one day again, I I think uh, there's going to be seventeen sufferers, and they're going to suffer. What's what's thirty? Thirty percent of those people will die. Who's good <laughs> so at what's thirty percent of the six? <laughs> six. All right, so six people will die. We'll say six. All right. Yeah. Matt, put up how many fingers of people you think will die. Uh, he's saying five. Five. He's going lower. He thinks he's going to beat me. I was just putting up my hand because I need help. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing at your mistake. Matt, lay down and I'll pour water on your face. <laughs> or or maybe it was, how many people are going to die, Matt? Me. <laughs> so maybe one person will die. And that Matt will be here next episode, guys. I'm sorry. Oh. Does he want to offer a prediction? Matt. For what that... Well, obviously people are going to get sick. I hope it, does, I hope it doesn't start with Jane, but it, logically it should. So it's probably going to be that, that cart guy. The guy that carted him in. Uh, yeah, or him, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there will be a lot of sick people. Or it'll be a whore. There'll be a lot of sick people the whole episode, and then at the end, the guy will run in with the vaccine and save the day. Okay. And there will be no... There will be no Seth Bullock. We will not follow him out of Deadwood. Oh, that's a, that's a prediction. Oh, you mean they're gonna skip an episode? <clears throat> He's gonna skip an episode. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Okay, Carol. Well, I don't think Jane necessarily needs to be the first one to get sick because he was up there in that 
that hotel room for a while. And uh, I don't know what they've done to disinfect the hotel room. but Also, he might be getting better because he's out in the bracing air. This is true. <laughs> Just being outside is yes. good for you. Yes, it really is. Do you think they're going to throw everybody out in the woods once they get sick? <laughs> They did like a panning shot of a long line of people in wagons being, <laughs> getting ready to be dumped. How, how did he come Feel in? better! Whoa! <laughs> how did he come into town? Did he come in on the stagecoach with a bunch of other people? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, so right there we could have a whole bunch of people already infected and they didn't know it. All right, there's going to be a bunch of people sick. We all got that. As far as deaths, I'm going to go with like only three deaths. Because there's just going to be tons of them sick, but I can't see them all dying right away. But just because it's Deadwood, I'm going to go with three. Although nobody died this episode. No, nobody died this episode. That's why I feel like somebody's going to die next time. Mm. I was going to go with two, but then said uh, I probably should go with two. I'm thinking maybe next season what we'll do is an end of season body count, and then just give you an opportunity every episode to revise it slightly. Mm. Cumulative tally. Mm. Mm. How many episodes a season? Twelve per season. Twelve per season. Okay. Twelve per season. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Corey. Sorry it was short notice. Perhaps next season you can uh, have more of a warning. Or maybe you're like, maybe you felt like you got, you know, a good taste of what it's like, and you're like, no, this isn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Corey. Thank you. You're you're welcome. Do you have anything you'd like to plug, uh, podcast-wise or internet-wise or... Um, I'm just on, on Facebook in the podcast groups, and uh, I'm going to be on Potential Cast in a couple of weeks. Cool. cool. Which episode? Uh, Bring on the Night. Ah, okay. Oh, isn't that like a good turning point episode? From what I remember, yeah. Because it's the episode uh, so-and-so returns. Yeah. Now uh, that's, that's monumental. Good for you. Mm. All right. Anyone, anyone guessed it on anything that they want to plug? I haven't since last time, so... I'm still on McKinley Cast, the Freaks and Geeks intro cast, and we have recorded another episode, I believe. Um, and so that should be coming up pretty soon, or else it's already out by the time you listen to this. And I think my potential cast episodes have already been out. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. We will see you in two weeks for episode six, Plague. You can find us online at hooplecast.com. Send feedback to hoopalcast at gmail.com Twitter address is at hoopalcast find the Facebook group that's where the fun is that's where we post a lot of fun ridiculous things thank you very much goodbye bye, bye. don't catch oh, what man bye <laughs> that was a dying fuck you <laughs> you challenged me last time to say it scared me in a scared voice you're scared of dying He's, you're scared of dying do it again yeah. do, do it again fuck you <laughs> <laughs>
on your best behavior and your looks of kindness savor. Oh, you naughty, naughty men of love, you set us dreaming. And when with hope we're teeming, we find you are but scheming. You naughty, naughty men of love, you set us dreaming. And when with hope we're teeming, we find you are but scheming. You What's funny about this game, Matt, is that you have to type in the commands. Yeah. Like, t- turn on motor, look at map, <laughs> yeah. go to gas station. Oh, seriously? Pick up hitchhiker. Oh, no! <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> oh. Put on seatbelt. Sleep in hotel. It costs $30. Yeah, you gotta think all these things when you're a trucker. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, it's such a romantic life. <laughs> do you get to stop at restaurants? At oh, diners? I wish. Yeah. I, I don't know. You yeah. probably have to eat. I don't know. Yeah. Corey, where do you live in, where'd you say, New Brunswick? Bigby. No, Nova Scotia. Nova, Nova Scotia? It's our neighbor, neighboring province. And I was looking at the map there, and uh, I think I've been, I'm sure I've been through both uh, St. John and Digby. Cool. On my on my travels. Cool. My dad well, was fascinated by the Bay of Fundy. Oh, yeah? It is quite yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. If you like that sort of thing, I guess. Highest tides in the world. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Yep. Well, in this game, I could go to St. John's and get cod. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, that's St. John's, Newfoundland. Yeah, is that St. Oh, John's, Newfoundland or St. John? No, it is. It is. It's St. John's, Newfoundland. Yeah. Oh, Are we even in there? Probably not. Ah, oh, we're a pretty big city. <laughs> no, we're. But go to go to Halifax and get tires. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. This is off topic, but has anyone watched that documentary or that news report where somebody went inside a sanitarium and recorded the footage of the conditions? Uh, they did a riff on it in American Horror Story. I saw Island. that. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, but that whole that part at the end where she's in the in the asylum uh, doing that news report of this is what the conditions are like. Yeah. That's based on a real report. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> what year? What year were they talking about? I'll have to or look it up. Generally, like what decade, what era? 60s, maybe? 70s? Yeah, that makes sense. 
Okay, there were a lot of exposés in the 60s and 70s. That's how Geraldo Rivera made his name. In fact, he could, that, that, I think that could have been the one. The Willowbrook? Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, yeah, that was a really famous one from... Yeah, that's how Geraldo Rivera made his name. Yeah, they did a riff on that for, for American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Fascinated by uh, insane asylums. Mm-hmm. So creepy. Let's yeah. go visit one. Yay. Yay. Maybe there is one in Washington uh, <laughs> State. At my university, the, we had a asylum on premises, Whoa. but it was what? converted into uh, administrative offices. There was one like half an hour walk from here. Like They shut it down ago. and they let people go on the streets. They just shut it down and put everybody on the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this pretty much they did in the United States. This city's always yeah. been full of uh, just really like crazy people, rambling well people. just like yeah people, a lot of people with like mel- mental illness yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's yeah as as matt just said that's what they've been doing around the united states for decades now yeah. a friend of mine spent uh, about 30 years working for the state mental hospital think, here yeah yeah i think this city's always kind of had a bad reputation because of it well because when i moved here my grandmother was like oh you're gonna go live with the crazies isn't that where the uh, Matt what's your history what's your background what you mean are you an insane person illness in family yeah there's quite a bit actually (laughs) I was born and raised in that asylum until they put me me out on the street Uh, isn't St. John's where the uh, the water flow fall goes backwards. The reversing yeah. falls. It's an optical yes. illusion, my friend. It's, no, it's not, it's not actually. It's not even that. It's, it's not, not even that. falls. Yeah, it, it's just it doesn't that. become a falls in the other direction. It just, it's yeah. just, it's, it's like, maybe like it's the rapids. water flows one way. Yeah, it's It rapids. should be yeah. called the reversing rapids, yeah. not the reversing yeah, falls. Yeah, it's more yeah. a cascade. Yeah, no, I, I've seen it. I, I was there and did and watched that. I thought that was in St. Joe. Yeah. So, it kind of goes along with mental illness, you know? It's like... <laughs> The water. They always did say the water ran backwards, and yeah, John. yeah, <laughs> that water's going backwards. You're crazy. You're crazy. Lock them up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm gonna put a link to my show notes in the Skype, Corey. If you want to go through those, maybe you'll find an, a, a quote that you like. Okay. They're in bold. Uh, you need permission. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That's requesting That's access. Oh my God, have I? That's what it says. Set all of my notes to that? Shit. Who has access? Change to anyone with the link. Now, okay, now try. It should be open now. Yep. At the top, it says that you logged in as an anonymous hyena. What? (laughs) At the top of the Google Docs, there's a little graphic of when he just logged in. It says anonymous hyena. Alrighty. Oh, that's delightful. (laughs) The hyena's going incognito. Not one of them well-known hyenas. <laughs> like the ones from The Lion King. Yeah. If you played Viva Pinata, they're called Pyenas. Oh, jeez. And they're so cute. <laughs> That's funny. Should we go with our quotes? Uh, yeah. Okay, here's a question. The One of the plagues was the death of the firstborn, but what if you're an only child? Can you be... Excused? Can you be excused? Because you're not first. Are you an yeah, only child? Only. Yeah, so I'm wondering, like, <laughs> Sorry. am I exempt? No. no? Sorry? Nope. How can you be, but you're not? You're the I first one born. There may not have been another one born yet, but you're still the first. first born. Hey, you're a first born, too. <laughs> Don't tell God. 
<laughs> and girls don't count, so No, they don't. Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm They the don't. One. I'm the oldest one in my family, but I'm a girl, so I win. That's the first time you you're happy to not count something. <laughs> yes. You heard it here on Hooplecast. Girls don't count. So they're <laughs> Regarding biblical plagues, ah, oh, yeah, let me finish. <laughs> You're scared of dying. Do it again. Yeah. Do, do it again. Fuck you. Yay. Yay, sickness. Yay, you're alive. Yeah. Barely. Mel, how much do you love me? <laughs> Not very much right now. Can you walk down to my parents' place and get me Buckley's? Really? <laughs> what is that? What's Buckley's? Oh, it's, me- it's cough medicine. Oh. oh. I don't really love you that much. I'll go. <laughs> no, I will. I'll go. Don't worry about it. I'll go. I'll heat up the supper. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Do you really want him touching your food? Not really. <laughs> I'll go get the Buckley's. You no, no, I'll, I'll go. Stay here. Yeah. You're, it's raining outside. You're it's actually it's snowing now. Yeah, it's snowing. Stay here. Oh, no. Yeah. I must admit, it's, we've, we're having nice weather here right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We were having nice weather. What's weather? Yeah. What's weather? <laughs> Are you just having the same sickness? It's, it's the same every day. It's so boring. Oh, well, you should move here. You'll get exciting. It's very schizophrenic. No, I'll be sick all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, that's... (laughs) Shut the fuck up!